Hello, and welcome to Tech Buzzwords from whatis.com. I'm Alex Howard, Assistant Site Editor at whatis.com, online IT encyclopedia and learning center. We invite you to visit whatis.com, the secret of those who always seem to know it all, and sign up for the word of the day and buzzword newsletters. Learn one new thing every day. This week, the buzzword is portable applications. To learn more about this topic, I recorded an interview with John T. Haller, the CEO and lead web developer of PortableApps.com. John has developed a way that you can carry your favorite computer programs along with all of your bookmarks, settings, email, and more with you, using them on any PC. Uh, you can do it using either your iPod or your flash drive, and it's all based on open source applications. So to learn more about what a portable application is and what the concerns are around security and usability, I called up John on a wintry Friday day. Uh, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and your company? Uh, sure, Alex. Um, well, I started uh, the whole portable apps thing kind of started uh, a couple of years ago back in uh, March 2004 with portable Firefox. It was kind of accidental almost when um, a new feature was added to Firefox that gave you the ability to put a profile on a portable device alongside Firefox. And it uh, you know, kind of grew from there to the other Mozilla apps and open, then OpenOffice and then a bunch of the other apps and things along those lines. It was kind of a sideline for me because I'd been running my own web development company for about uh, five years at the time. And it's grown to the point where I'm actually trying to turn it into my full-time job. That's great. Well, uh, congratulations on finding the niche. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, I, I uh, went and checked out uh, portableapps.com and browsed around there. Um, I like the fact that the, the look and feel of that's very similar to your uh, application as well. All feels very similar. And I, I read your definition, which is uh, portable app is a computer program that you can carry around with you on a portable device and use on any Windows computer. Mm -hmm. uh, now, does that define that a portable app is something you can't use on a Linux computer or a Unix computer or a Mac computer? No, not at all. Okay. Um, this is, the definition says Windows on portable apps because the apps that um, we do there are primarily Windows apps at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that is actually not even entirely the case anymore. All of the apps that are done, including the platform itself, the portable apps menu and the portable apps backup utility, all of them run within Wine on Linux. Okay. Um, so obviously, some of the individual apps themselves don't. Like Game, for instance, doesn't run correctly within Wine because it's missing the Windows fonts, uh, things along those lines. But um, yeah, you can already use it in Wine or in Darwine on the Mac. And if you notice, most of the apps that are part of the portable app suite itself, they're actually available on both Linux and Mac. So the eventual goal is to actually have what we're going to call universal portable apps. So, for instance, you could have your Firefox binaries for Windows, Mac, and Linux, along with the profile, all working so that you could walk around to any computer and plug it in and use your apps with your own data. Now, just for our listeners' sake, uh, if you haven't actually gone to portableapps.com or downloaded the software, uh, we're talking about portable applications like Audacity, uh, FileZilla, Firefox, uh, GIMP, Miranda, OpenOffice.org, uh, Thunderbird, 
and Sudoku for you uh, for you gamers out there. So uh, along with a whole host of other things, and I certainly recommend people going and, and checking those out. Um, in terms of broadening it out, though, a portable application is simply something that has been ported over to a portable device. In this case, I think most of the time it's a flash device, uh, like a, a flash drive. Well, actually, it's, we get a pretty good mix of what people uh, run them from. A lot of people use iPods. Okay. Um, the, the introduction of the original Shuffle actually greatly increased that. And then people realized, hey, you know, you can, as long as you set your iPod to drive mode, you can carry it around, plug it into just about any computer, and it'll just work. How difficult is it to turn a regular app into a portable app? What are the differences? Well, it depends on the app. Um, mm -hmm. Some applications provide you the ability to redirect where they're looking for their data. Um, but even applications that allow you to do that, like Thunderbird lets you point it to your mail files, things like that, but it still relies on the Windows registry for certain things. So one of the things we do is we build what we call a launcher, a wrapper, um, that runs alongside Thunderbird, keeps an eye on those registry keys, makes sure it's not already running in a local instance, and then cleans up after it when you're done. Uh, do you ever run into trouble with proprietary stuff? People want to actually install something that's not open source. Have you quite intentionally all made this open source so there'll never be any licensing issues? Well, um, the platform itself is open source mm -hmm. um, under the GPL, all the original code uh, that I've written and that uh, a lot of the other people in the community have contributed to. Mm -hmm. um, the main apps of the suite are open source, and it's partially a licensing thing, but uh, partially also um, necessity of bandwidth and costs. Um, we're pushing out about 20 terabytes worth of downloads a month, and all of those go through SourceForge, which means that all of them are free for us. But we are doing some um, uh, freeware apps coming up. I can't talk about which ones, because oh, we're sure. still in, in negotiations yep. with some of them, but we're... Um, talking with some of the uh, larger companies that have big freeware apps that are actually interested in coming on board on the platform. And so we're going to be providing some open source tools so that they can be able to have their apps run on the Portal Apps platform. Uh, what about uh, live distros of operating systems like uh, so-called uh, Skinny Linux or, or Piper Linux, etc.? Um, do you see any possibility of porting a uh, whole OS over into Oh yeah. Um, actually, I actually I have a build of uh, DSL, damn small Linux, <laughs> that's in um, Portable Apps format. So literally, you can download one file and uh, put it into the Portable Apps menu into the platform. Um, they have an embedded version, as they call it, of uh, DSL right now available. It uses uh, uh, QEMU um, for the virtualization, so that it'll run run right within Windows. And what's uh, QEMU? Just uh, enlighten me here. Ah, QEMU is a, uh, it's uh, similar to like a VMware. Um, okay. It's a virtualizer so that you can have virtual hardware and run an operating system within that. Well, given that, and this is actually one of the, the, the biggest questions I have about the whole idea of portable applications, about uh, each employee, each free agent, yeah, each consultant, whoever carrying around a flash drive or an iPod with this kind of thing on it, uh, given that proprietary or extremely sensitive information can be stored on portable hard drives, how do you deal with authentication challenges, firewall security, remote, remote access, et cetera? Um, well, security is actually a combination of things. Mm -hmm. You have to secure the data on the drive itself mm -hmm. in case it's lost. And you also have you know, um, access to corporate networks, things along those lines. And so it's kind of a multi-pronged approach. The first thing you want to do is secure the drive. And there's a number of ways to do that. Um, many of the drives out there actually ship with commercial software that um, 
is pre-installed that allows you to encrypt the whole drive. Mm -hmm. um, the Kingston Data, Tra uh, Data Traveler Secure, for instance, has uh, AES 128-bit encryption built in. Um, a number of uh, vendors are actually building hardware encryption chips into the drive itself and providing the tools free with the drive that allow you to, to access that. Um, many of the fingerprint drive, uh, the drives with the fingerprint readers built in mm -hmm. are doing that as well. In fact, um, I'm working with a couple of vendors that do the fingerprint drives to pre-bundle uh, the portable apps on them. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, on, that's on the drive side. Yeah, that's on the drive side. Now, to secure things um, through the corporate side, you want to make sure you're going over solid connections. I mean, obviously, some corporate networks, you're not going to want people out there, even if they've secured their drive, plugging into random PCs. Yes. But for a corporate user to come and use their home PC, for instance, that they're, you know, they've made sure to be running their antivirus software, their anti-spyware, um, keep it patched and up-to-date, things along those lines. That's a scenario that we're actually seeing happen much more. And in that case, you know, you're using a standard uh, VPN client to get in, or some of the smaller companies use VNC, and there's a portable viewer for VNC, so you can carry it around and directly connect into your um, home or work PC from wherever you are. And, you know, secure FTP, SSH, things along those lines. Mm -hmm. your, your classics, in other words. Yeah. Okay. My doomsday scenario is, is more or less that uh, somebody gets really into this. They install Thunderbird. They install Firefox. They actually set up Firefox so that it's keyed in to all the different places they go to online. And it's not an encrypted drive. It's a small piece of electronics. It gets left behind, as are so many laptops and cell phones now, and uh, taxis, lounges, you name it, falls down. Somebody picks it up. They plug it into a computer, and all of a sudden they've got access to everywhere someone can go online you know and I guess that what you're saying is the best way to deal with that is just simply to make sure that the uh, the drive is encrypted don't buy a flash drive without encryption yeah yeah part, well that's part of that's part of it okay. um, we're working on a couple of um, there's a couple of uh, other portable portable platforms out there that use security by obscurity they don't really use encryption but they prevent you from looking at the data we're going to be adding a couple of those to the portable apps menu with the appropriate warnings that, yes, this is security by obscurity, but it will add, you know, it will give you a modicum of uh, um, extra peace of mind if you happen to lose the drive. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, even on an unsecured drive, you can actually get a certain amount of security with things. Like, for instance, in Firefox, if you set a master password, even though it's not a super secure of all your bookmarks and stuff, it'll actually keep your passwords pretty safe because Joe Average is going to have no idea what to do to get around that. Right. I, I'm not especially concerned about bookmarks in quite the same way. It's really more about what, what's stored in your cookies. You know, uh, well, yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like your, your, your saved passwords, things yep. like that. Yeah. I mean, a master password will actually um, protect that to a certain extent. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm looking for some concrete best practices because I, I really think that this is a you know an incredible place that people can start going, especially considering 21 million iPods were sold last quarter. There's going to be a lot more people who are going to be interested in carrying around all this stuff with them. Oh uh, yeah, you know, and uh, with the standardization to USB 2.0 for a lot of these, they're going to be able to plug into most computers, which wasn't necessarily the case when they were on FireWire. Right. Um, when I got my first iPod and that. You know, that's not a small thing. Um, is there any kind of concern people have around using um, iPods versus flash drives? Um, not really. Actually, you get a little bit better performance running off of an iPod. Um, 
hard drives in general are a little bit faster than most of the flash-based drives that are out there. Um, obviously, the newer uh, nanos and stuff are all flash-based as well. I haven't actually had the time to um, performance test any of the newer ones mm -hmm. to see uh, what we're looking at. Will this, uh, this thing work on uh, a Trio or a BlackBerry? Um, basically, it requires anything that will show up as a drive letter on the Windows side. Okay. Anything that shows up as a drive letter. And at the moment, um, you know, my, my Trio 680 sitting on my desk, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, I have a you know, a, a two gig SD card sitting in it, but it can't, doesn't show up as a drive letter on Windows. Interesting. Yeah, I, I run um, uh, T-Mobile MDA, and, mm -hmm. and that does actually pop up as a hard drive. Not oh. a very big one, but I, but I can actually see it. Well, if it, if it does, then you can load stuff on it. I mean, it, it, as long as it's a drive. I mean, people mm -hmm. run these from network shares at university, mm -hmm. so that they can, wherever they are on campus, they can hop right in and they got their stuff. Um, you know, any literally anything. Right? People run them from PSP uh, from PSPs because PSPs show up as a drive letter when you plug them in. No kidding. I carry around my bookmarks on my PSP. There you go. I like that. Yeah, you can carry around a uh, Firefox Portable. All right. Do you see a lot of competition in this market coming down the uh, pike for you in terms of other people porting portable apps over the uh, the big guys coming in and and uh, offering this stuff? Well, um, there's always going to be some competition from commercial players. Mm -hmm. um, the two big ones out there that most people have probably heard of are U3, um, which is owned by SanDisk, mm -hmm. and Cedo, which is an independent company that um, was originally associated with U3 over in Israel that um, uh, Lexar is actually bundling on a couple of their drives. Um, there's, th there's positives and negatives to both approaches. Um, U3 is tied to hardware. Um, some argue artificially, so it's kind of designed to sell drives. Mm -hmm. So there's no way you, can, you can't, you know, take any of the stuff that you'd run on the U3 platform and put it on your iPod, for instance, or your little MP3 player, your portable hard drive, or network share, or whatever. Um, CO is more uh, a standalone software application, but you're dealing with cost. You know, it's $30 for the base application. If you want to add the backup utility in, it's another 10 bucks. You can only, you only run things that are in their little predefined directory of applications. Gotcha. So it, it, you're really quite locked in, just very similar to using applications on, say, a, a mobile phone. You, you know, you yeah, they both have a certain amount of lock-in. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've been trying to do with the, port the portable apps platform is the menu will work with any application at all. So there's lots of standalone EXEs, little utilities and things that people use and carry around already. Why not let them use it, you know, as they've been using it, just, you know, with an easier to use interface around it. Do you see any possibility for uh, enterprise or business users to be able to install more proprietary stuff? Um, you know, say network diagnostic tools that they only use on their own system, that kind of thing, on a drive? Um, yeah, actually, you can a lot of tools like that you can actually already run portably. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing you'd have to be worried about is licensing issues. Okay. And some of the tools, as long as you purchase them, the license is liberal enough that you can actually copy it over. Interesting. Uh, do you ever alter any source code, and if so, do you publish it? Well, the, the goal with most of the portable apps is so that we don't have to alter the source code of the base apps. Okay. Um, some apps, it's really undesirable to do that. Like, for instance, uh, Mozilla Firefox. If you altered any of the source code, you couldn't call it Mozilla Firefox anymore. Gotcha. Yep. Um, and then there's a the whole concept of upkeep and things along those lines. So of the apps that are on portableapps.com right now, none of them are altered source code-wise um, in terms of the base apps themselves. 
the uh, launcher wrapper program that runs alongside them, that's you know a creation from scratch, and those are all GPL, and the source is actually included whenever you download the app. Interesting. Well, I have used Open Office, so I was really glad to see that that's there. Yeah, well, that Open Office is modified, but mm -hmm. not source-wise. Right. Um, we use a, a, a utility called UPX, which compresses the EXEs and DLLs without affecting their functionality. And then we'll use 7-zip on the JAR files in them that have all the extra files with an Open Office. And that will get us, you know, an, the install of Open Office was originally like 220 megabytes, and mm. it's 170 because of these compression techniques. Not too bad. It's uh, definitely a pretty big difference when you're talking about, say, 256 or 512 megabyte flash drive. Oh, exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have been able to run it on a 256 drive without doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else you'd want to talk about with regards to portable applications and the way that uh, mobile application trends are, are moving, the uh, way the industry is changing, the uh, different things people are starting to offer, and, and the direction you'd like to go in the uh, future yourself? Well, um, in terms of future direction, I mean, I'd like to keep building the platform out as it is. I've got a number of uh, other open source projects that are going to be releasing their own stuff in the portable apps format, as, as well as freeware and even commercial providers. Hmm. Um, I really would like to see the platform grow to the point where everybody can use it. I mean, I have charities down in Brazil that are using it to refurb Windows 98 PCs. Mm -hmm. So they have one set of software they load on it. That's one of the neat things about the platform and the suite. You can actually take it and copy it to a local drive, and it'll still work. You mean they're not uh, converting all those 98 PCs over to Linux in Brazil these days? No, <laughs> not all of them. I mean, it, for some reason, there's a big contingent of people down there. They have the PCs that are sitting there with the 98 loaded mm -hmm. on them already, and they just need to kind of quickly refurb them to get them to the community to be able to use them. Got it. And they'll throw a portable suite of applications on there. Yep. And then you're good to go and off, off and running. Right. Mm -hmm. Or they'll put, stick it on an external drive, and that way, you know, if the PC dies, mm -hmm. big deal. Unplug it, plug it into a new PC, keep going. And it's not de power dependent, so you don't have an issue there with, with charging it. Exactly. Which is huge in the, uh, you know, <laughs> areas have uh, energy infrastructure issues. Yeah, yeah. And that actually brings up a good point with the, the whole concept of the $100 laptop. Oh, yes, oh, $135 laptop, depending yeah, on who you talk to. I'd really like to, to get my hands on one and get a feel for, you know, what it actually is. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that, you know, you, until I've held it in my hand and used it, it's not real. I, I run all my stuff on my own uh, web hosting account. Mm -hmm. You know, I have an IMAP server, so I can connect to it from my home PC, from Thunderbird Portable walking around the field. I can get webmail access, and I can access it on my Trio. Um, my bookmarks, I can sync them to and from my home uh, Firefox and my portable uh, Firefox by, you know, using an FTP bookmark syncer. Mm -hmm. so. so you 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 figured out ways around it, but not everyone is necessarily quite as uh, savvy as you to be able to do that, unfortunately. Well, the good thing is um, things like IMAP are getting more common. Mm -hmm. um, we're, I don't think any of the free providers offer IMAP access yet. Um, like Google offers a POP server, yes. and it was one of the first ones to offer even that. But I think once a free provider offers an IMAP server, you're going to see a pretty big uptick in people being able to, you know, use their application of choice to check their email. Absolutely. John, thanks for taking half an hour out of your Friday morning to talk with me. Uh, oh, well, Dave, thanks for uh, the opportunity to chat, Alex. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks a lot, Alex. Have Take a good care. one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. For more about portable applications, make sure to visit our definition for portable apps at whatis.com 
And check out our sister sites, searchmobilecomputing.com and searchappsecurity.com to find related links and information about the technologies involved and what you need to know. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our Word of the Day and Buzzword newsletters. If there's something we missed in today's podcast or some other subject you'd like us to cover in a future episode, let us know at editor at whatis.com. Thank you.